Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spiritual Abuse Podcast and this is Eddie. And this is Joseph. And today we are going to be hearing from Joseph. We're going to hear Joseph's story and I think it's going to be amazing. And before we kind of turn it over to Joseph here, uh, in full disclosure, Joseph is my son-in-law. He's been married to my daughter Hannah for, what is it, three years now? Over three years. Over three years. I've known Joseph since he was 13 years old, I think. Um, My daughter was 12 when she told me that she met the man that she was going to marry. And I said, oh, how do you know that? And she said, well, because God told me. And I said, well, when God tells me, I'll let you know. (laughs) And later on, God did tell me. So um, welcome to the family, Joseph. I just stuck around. Yes, he stuck around for a long time. So uh, Joseph is a, a amazing man. Um, he's got his uh, four-year college degree from Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He is currently working for a Fortune 500 company there in Tulsa. What do you do, data analytics? Yeah, I'm a financial analyst. Yeah, I, I have no clue what that is, uh, but that's what he does, and he does really, really well at it. Uh, if you get bored during this podcast and you want to Google about Joseph, uh, just go to YouTube and look up Mother Goose Club. And if you get some of the original Mother Goose Clubs that were put out, uh, what, six, seven years ago, if you do Jack B. Nimble Rockin' Robot, that will be my son-in-law, Joseph. Uh, He is worldwide famous. Unfortunately, he was paid a stipend for doing that and was not on any kind of uh, retainer with... uh, uh, payments that came over a lifetime, no royalties, no royalties whatsoever. But uh, Joe's son loves it. Yes, uh, my grandson August loves uh, the uh, Mother Goose Club, and it's a good time. So uh, we're going to hear Joseph's story, and it is a a unique perspective. It's different than mine, and that's what makes spiritual abuse. You know, it's not a <laughs> one size fits all. Uh, and uh, Joseph, go ahead. What's your story? Yeah, you let me scoot in. Okay. Uh, okay. So, um, kind of like Eddie, I'm not going to give my life story from the moment I was born, but um, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I was homeschooled. I went to a Christian tutorial. Um, like, everything in my life was Christian. Um, but I really didn't decide to make my faith my own until I was about 13. And it actually was at this church where I did experience spiritual abuse. Now, right off the bat, you know, I want to clarify, you know, most spiritual abuse experiences is very mixed. There's a lot of good that you've experienced and there's a lot of bad. And there may be a lot of you kind of sorting through that right now and kind of struggling um, to say anything or speak out because of the good that you've experienced in that context. Um, all I can say to that is, you know, what Jesus says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump and, you know, bad things really can affect people. And when you speak out against spiritual abuse, it's not with the intent to take down the good with the bad. It's with the intent to expose the bad, because when you expose things into the light, they heal. So I've had a very mixed experience, um, at this church um, in Middle Tennessee. So, so as you may recall from the previous episode, this is the church that Eddie and Lisa helped start after they uh, moved to Charlotte to start a Bible school and then moved to Knoxville and then moved to Middle Tennessee with the first service being in their house. 
I didn't come into this church until I was about, like I said previously, 13. And I was in there for probably six or seven years-ish. Um, but the kicker is, is I was in there for the for the formative years of my life, um, my teenage years, um, in a time where I was developing my identity, when I was developing um, my sense of self. So it was a very vulnerable time. But my experience is, is I was in a youth service where they were basically doing a call to leadership. As I recall and look back, there was nothing really special or orchestrated or manipulative about that service. It was simply a a message on Moses and calling us to be modern day Moseses. There was no, you know, emotional like um, Christian summer camp manipulation to make me be coerced into a revival experience. It was, it was quite frankly a dry experience, but just God met me there and something clicked in me that made me want to take my Christian faith to the next level and make it a hundred percent all in. Now that youth group that I was a part of was healthy as much as it could be within that context of spiritual abuse. The youth pastor, um, I love, I cherish my time with him. I cherish what he did to pour into me and to go out of his way um, to really invest in me. The things that I hold on to today um, are still because of the investment that he poured into um, all those years. So in that context, I did not experience spiritual abuse. The spiritual abuse I started experiencing was when I started graduating out of the youth group and into the into the um, adult setting where I had more direct influence with the lead pastor who was the source of spiritual abuse in this setting. Um, throughout high school, um, I struggled with um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I was actually mentally ill. This wasn't something where I had to arrange things perfectly compulsively or had to clean up or tidy up. This was a much more serious chronic problem. Um, I was diagnosed professionally um, as one of the more severe cases on the spectrum. And this thing dominated and crippled my life. Um, Eddie can attest to it. There were times where I couldn't talk. Um, I was at times a shell of a human being. It actually really weighed on my relationship with my now wife and really was a trying time because I couldn't be present. I couldn't, I, I couldn't be emotionally invested in things. It was, it was the most, um, it, it was the things that terrified me the most intrusively, the thoughts, intrusive thoughts put in my head and it just crippled me because it just put me in a terror and it just was a state of paralysis and suffocation mentally. It was, uh, one thing I like to say is like, it was like cinder blocks chained around my neck. And then I was tossed into the bottom of the ocean, hundreds of feet down, just trying to breathe. That was my life. I was, I was chronically mentally ill. And in this context of this church, um, that church was not therapeutic for that issue. Like I said, the youth group was the best that it could be, but it wasn't perfect because it was in a spiritually abusive context. One of the core principles of this church is what's called choosing joy. Now, I, I'm sure you people have have heard about that phrase in some form or another. It's all over places like Hobby Lobby. It's all over greeting cards. It's, it's a fairly common saying right now. But what this church used this as was far more um, out of balance than probably many people have experienced. Um, basically I was taught and Eddie was taught and everyone at this church was taught that any other emotion besides happiness was 
a lesser state. They wouldn't come out and say that sadness was a sin. They wouldn't even say that anger was a sin. They would even talk about righteous anger. But they almost organized emotions in a hierarchical sense to where the epitome of life, spiritual enlightenment, the height of experiences, if you can stay in joy forever, unabated, unaffected, no matter what happened in your life. Me being mentally ill, chronically anxious, um, struggling with intrusive thoughts, choosing joy actually made me worse because it taught me to hide what I was going through mentally and put on this facade and face whenever I walk through those doors. And it hyper discouraged me from reaching out to get help from my spiritual leaders. Even though my youth pastor was an amazing man, and I still respect him to this day, the context that he was placed in did not equip him well to counsel me because I felt shame for what I could not control. I felt shame for being ill And I felt like it was my problem and something that I was doing wrong to keep me there. So I just kept choosing joy. I kept putting on a happy face. I kept, you know, forcing myself to deny the reality that I was experiencing. And it was crippling. It was, it was hard. Um, But fast forward, you know, um, I graduate high school. I've learned to manage my mental health a little bit better. And I've gotten to a state of manageability to where I'm more healthy, but not healthy. And I'm at a position, I'm at a crossroads to where um, I'm choosing where to go to college. Now, just to kind of rewind a little bit, I was a big visible leader in the youth group, which only made the issue worse. Um, I felt like if I showed any form of weakness, it would be detrimental to the faith of the people that saw me. I was on the youth praise team. I was a visible leader at and, and I was passionate about it. I loved it. It's something that I look forward week in to week out. But yeah, yeah. And, and let me interrupt. Uh, Hannah and Joseph, my daughter Hannah and Joseph, were actually handpicked and being groomed and teased with uh, future positions, future opportunities, how they could really fulfill their destiny and the call of God on their life from this place. Yeah, exactly. So we had, again, like Eddie was saying, that sense of destiny held over our head. And we were told directly, indirectly, um, whether explicitly or just subconsciously in the culture that the only way I could fulfill my destiny on earth as a Christian was at this church and in this context. Because we were taught and convinced this is the that, that not only Jesus is the only way, but that this church is the only right expression of Christianity. Um, We looked at every other church pastor as judgmentally, trying to find the wrong in them, ways to disqualify them in their call of God, um, errors in their theology, um, because it wasn't in line with the theology that is at this church. The, The gauge of success for us to trust another Christian voice was how congruent they were with the existing perspective at this church. Yeah. Joseph brings up a really good point. Uh, A red flag. If you are in a spiritually abusive environment, a major red flag is if the leader says things like, we are the only church that, and then fill in the blank, or all other churches aren't fill in the blank. All the other pastors are, no other pastor are. It's this comparison thing. It's elitism. Yeah, it really is. It's elitism. 
And it is a dangerous, dangerous red flag. If, you, if you're hearing that in your church right now, you need to, next time you're in there, you know, raise an eyebrow. And, and I'm not saying go to church and listen critically for things, but you'll know. I mean, these red flags pop up. You've got that spirit on the inside of you for a reason. And sometimes we make ourselves so comfortable, we quit listening and we accept exactly. everything that comes our way. Sorry, Joseph. Go oh, ahead. No, you're good. That's really good to bring up. Again, I did not get this from the youth pastor. I got this mainly from the lead pastor because I went to the youth group on Wednesday nights and I went to the adult services on the weekends um, um, each week. That's just how the format was um, at that church, and it still is to this day. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, I was very visible, loved what I was doing, but I was internally tortured um, most of my time there, and I didn't really feel like I had an outlet to be honest and vulnerable because I was honestly, quite frankly, I was afraid of losing my influence there. I was afraid if I um, allowed them to know the depth of my mental struggles, that it would be perceived as, like Eddie was mentioning before, a spiritual problem. Wow. And because of the spiritual problem, therefore, I, I don't have the integrity of a leader that I should to be visible and therefore I'll be stripped of my influence. Um, and I, in fact, it blows as, my mind. It just yeah, blows my mind. It's and crazy. it sounds like we're just talking, but these things happen. It does happen. We were a part of this. Yeah. And you know, sidebar, um, I remember counseling other people going through other issues and telling them, Hey, don't tell pastor so-and-so about this because I don't want you to lose your position on leadership. Like this is a common, um, attitude at that church because, a good motivation to elevate integrity and emphasize purity, which is biblical and right, was just taken out of like out of haywire and out of out of balance to where if you are impure, if you are struggling in integrity, you will be punished. They will never say that explicitly, but they they implant that in the culture as a sense of fear and control so that you will not expose yourself. Or do anything you can to keep yourself from being exposed, which maybe we'll talk on a later episode. That that fear and that drive to keep what you're struggling with the secrecy actually drove Eddie in deeper and deeper um, places that he probably wouldn't have been at if he felt the freedom to actually be honest. Um, but um, that's his story, not mine. And in my context, um, like I said at the end of high school, I learned how to manage my mental health a lot better. I was in a healthier place, but I would not consider myself healthy at that point. Um, and I decided to wait a year after I graduated for my future wife to graduate from high school because she was a year um, behind me um, so that we could both go to college at Oral Roberts University. Now, the only reason why we even considered Oral Roberts University um, as a possibility, my dad brought it up as, a, as an option for college. and But the only reason we, tr the first thing we did is we looked up the college and we tried to find a reason to not go. We tried to find a scandal um, to disprove its validity. And we did find that and we sorted through that. But the only reason why we even considered that after that, um, which by the way, the college is great and awesome right now. It's, it's being run well. They've recovered from that. So don't worry about that. Um, but, um, that's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. <laughs> but um, uh, anyways, um, the only reason why we even considered it a possibility to go is because the pastor's wife graduated from there. So there was enough, and her sister-in-law worked there. So there was enough of a connection with this obscure, obscure church in an obscure town in the suburbs outside of Nashville that made us feel slightly comfortable to go. 
and open to experience this. Now, um, so we, after much prayer and thought, we're like, okay, we're going to go for it. We're going to go to ORU and we're going to, I'm going to double major in business and theology and my wife decides to study nursing and we're really excited. But the months leading up to that, um, after we made that decision, this church did everything. And I mean, everything they could. They pulled all the stops and all the cards to convince us we were making a mistake to move away. They were convincing us that if we go, we would become tainted, we would become disconnected, we would lose connection and not fulfill our destiny, which ironically all happened. Um, <laughs> we did get disconnected and we did choose to not come back. Um, but that's, I'll, I'll talk about that later. Um, but they tried to convince us that we were making a cataclysmic mistake by leaving. That somehow if we left, we would no longer have plan A for our life that God had. We would have plan B or C or D or E, which are, you know, naturally in your mind, you think is less than the best that God has for you. So we really struggled with the people we were looking up to um, explicitly going after us, pulling us into offices, coercing us, turning people against us, saying, um, I will never leave you, like, like pulling one of Hannah's best friends aside in the parking lot and saying, look, Hannah, or look, or, or, or look so-and-so, I will never, ever, ever leave you like Hannah's leaving me right now, like such manipulative stuff. Let the record show that Eddie and Lisa Wilson were not in the group that was trying to prevent Hannah and Joseph from going to ORU. We knew on the inside that this was part of what they were supposed to do. Yes, they, they, were, um, they were really supportive in this decision, and that was really helpful. Um, but you know, we decided to just be our own people and do what we felt God was doing, and we decided to go to you know, college out of state. Um, I'm really thankful to God that he built me to have an open mind. Um, even though I was in a very closed minded setting in this church, I always had a willingness to listen to opposite perspective and find credence in that. That's just something God's hardwired me to do. I'm learning that especially out of this um, suppressive context. And I went to ORU with an open heart and open mind, but it was, it wasn't, it was it was it was cautious skepticism at everything I heard because I was fully convinced that the church that I came from was the way had the answers and the right perspective and I was so conceited that I wanted to change the church that I was going to in Oklahoma to be more like this church I wanted to change any like like this is awful but I had um, I, every student that I encountered there at that at that um, at college, I wanted to impart my higher wisdom to so that they could make their church like themselves. Uh, we were involved in the International Center where, you know, this this college had almost 100 countries represented. And while most of our motives were pure on we wanting on us wanting to meet people from around the world because we love missions, we love um, meeting other cultures, really, to be honest, another big motivation was we wanted to impart what we learned at this church in that ethnocentric superior elitism idea of saying, Hey, you know, you're going back to Africa, bring back this, not only American perspective, but this American Mount Juliet perspective. That is the only way of doing church. It was very conceited to all my friends who may be listening to this. I'm so sorry. You know that, <laughs> you know, you know that I've grown past that, you know, that I'm not that way anymore. And I'm so sorry for having that attitude. We're, we're talking to you, Julian. Yeah. We're talking to you. Um, <laughs> But uh, it, 
ORU was such a turning point for me. It, it exposed me to different theological ideas, not heretical ideas, just, just ORU's theology apartment has such a delicate balance of not telling you what the scripture says in a predefined um, systematic way, but in a safe way, providing you independence to explore the scriptures for yourself and to explore theology for yourself in a safe, spirit-filled environment. And for those of you who don't know what spirit-filled means, that that's a context in which we allow um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to flow freely and express that um, freely. And it was just a very healthy, free environment for me to, I don't know, hash out ideas and kind of independently think through what I was taught. Um, but I was holding on really hard to this church. I, I, list, I still listened in week in to week out. I still took it as truth. I even made a vow to myself that I will not question anything from this church until I'm a doctorate in theology. Like I, it so, was, so how did it make you feel when you heard the pastor of the church that used to be my, my boss and was your senior pastor, spiritual advisor, when he said that professors at Christian universities were failed ministers. How did that make you feel? Well, to be honest, I, I just disagreed with him. Okay. I didn't, I didn't really take much weight with that. Cause I was in a point at this, at that point when he told me that to where I was kind of like starting to think a little bit more independently. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was starting to explore different things, but in the same way, um, one thing he did do while I was there, um, that is a common tactic that he does, is he will send you a message series. He'll write you a note and he'll say, hey, I was just thinking about you. I really think this will bless you. You know, This was the semester when I started learning Koine Greek, which those, um, if you don't know, it's a type of ancient Greek um, that the New Testament was originally written in. It's not modern Greek. It's a, it's a, it's a type of ancient Greek that specifically converted or, or that Jews in this context wrote the Bible. And it's not the most academic form of Greek. It's just like a common street kind of form of Greek and street I, Greek. <laughs> street Greek. <laughs> um, and I was, uh, I was learning it. This was my first semester and I came home on break and I was telling my pastor, um, that I was in Greek class and I was just so excited to share that with him because he is so passionate about sharing from the Greek um, from the pulpit. And I just thought that we could bond over that and maybe even talk about some of that stuff that I was learning. Um, but he sent me a series shortly after that saying, Hey, this will bless you. And the whole series was about how people who previously left came back to this church because they decided they learned that after they left, their life got worse and they needed to come back and be planted. <laughs> but here's the kicker. It wasn't just that. In one of the sermons of this like four-part series, he makes fun of theology students sitting in Greek class, thinking they know more than anybody else. They think they're too good for ministry and they expect when they come back to have a six-figure salary and a nice car. I was listening to that while I was working over Christmas break or something like that. I had to pause it. I had to run into the bathroom at work and I just started crying because it was a personal attack on what I was passionate about that I thought that we could bond over. 
but he used his public platform to to just demean me, to ridicule me, and to undermine me um, in my pursuits to know the Lord deeper. And that 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 really crushed me. And um, that right there, that is spiritual abuse wrapped up in a tangible story. When the senior pastor is sending Joseph a message saying, what you're doing is worthless and I know more than your professors, you'll be back here and we'll put you in your place. It is just, it's just brutally abusive. Yeah, and I think that was the first real experience of spiritual abuse that I had. Um, directly, but it wasn't the last, no, it wasn't the last. Um, but anyways, um, fast forward a little bit, um, towards the end of my college career, um, they started this, they started this, um, mentoring course that was an acronym about, you know, training the next generation, you know, cause they're really big on acronyms there. And what they did is they selected a handful of youth that they saw a future in at this church to invest in and instill their principles so that they can, you know, take, be the next generation of the church. It's really an indoctrination kind of a session where they break you down and try to really clone themselves in you. And Hannah and I, my wife and I were chosen as, um, top candidates for this endeavor. It, let me interrupt. It, it wasn't youth like youth group. It was young adults. Most of them were college and career between the ages of 18 and 23. Yeah. There were seven of them. Yeah. So we were the only people that called in. Um, and it, man, that was just a weird experience. It was instead of an opportunity for us to provide our perspective and our thoughts of how we see the church going. They didn't want us to talk and provide input on how things could change. What it was is it was an impartation, as they would call it, where they instilled principles, leadership principles, acronyms, sayings to brainwash you into how they do things and for us to watch how they interact in a staff meeting. Um, Eddie and Lisa were actually in this uh, as part of their staff meeting. Um, and it was an opportunity for us to listen to the head pastor, him to quote unquote impart to us. And then we spent 30, 40 minutes for, of us giving feedback of what he said. But when I say feedback, I don't mean a space to disagree or provide opposing opinion. Like you had to agree. If you didn't agree, that was a no-no and you would be corrected in front of everybody. Like it was very evident that you had to agree. On one such occasion, one of these things, so... One thing that Hannah and I did um, was we dated from 13 and 14 up until we got married in 2017. That's a big no-no at that church. You, you don't, you, 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 one of their sayings is you don't date before you're ready to mate. Really, really. Who says that? It's, it's a really odd saying, but hmm. basically what they were trying to say is you as a depraved, fallen human being are incapable of, you know, managing your sexual urges that you can't even be in a romantic relationship without giving into those urges. And 
Therefore, you cannot date as a teenager because it's just too much of a losing position. You'll fall under the temptation. There's two paths. And if you go down this path, there's only one way that it can go. Exactly. And Hannah and I didn't care. We, we were going to date. Um, and we courted. We did everything kosher. Like, we didn't. Again, you had the blessing of your parents. Right. Your mom and dad, who we know and are, are friends with. And you had the... Uh, approval of hannah's parents me and lisa yeah and we were involved we were communicative and that was an uphill battle we was we faced a lot of correction for allowing our daughter to date before the leader thought that she was ready to right yeah it was we were we were taught we were destined to fail but we didn't we didn't listen to that we didn't we didn't agree with that and we kept going on this was something that was corrected from the pulpit over the years, it got so bad that while my parents were still attending there, my mom pulled the pastor aside and said, don't you ever correct my son about his personal decisions from the pulpit ever again. And he stopped. She put him in, her, in his place. So thanks, mom. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you, had, you had the guts to do what a lot of people didn't. Um, so thank you. Um, but he took the opportunity. Now, keep in mind, the people... Fast forward back, we're in this um, mentoring training session, indoctrination session with these seven young adults, um, two of which are me and my wife. And we're in this we're in this setting, and the pastor takes the opportunity as a teaching moment to talk about sexual pur- purity and keeping yourself pure for marriage. And he used my wife and I as an example of what not to do. Now keep in mind, we're on the phone, we're in the room, the people on staff are, are people that we consider family because we're really close to them, we look up to them, we consider them our mentors, um, some of them are actually family, Hannah's parents, and the young adults in the room are some of our closest friends. And, and just the level of embarrassment to be elevated as what not to do when we did nothing wrong was just so uncalled for. And let me use this as an opportunity to publicly apologize for not having the guts to say anything because I should have stood up. I should have said, hey, listen, Hannah and Joseph did it right. But, you know, after decades of being conditioned, you don't stand up. Yeah, but you stood up a lot for us, though, behind the scenes on a lot of voicemails that they did, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, And, you know, to to be fair, that was something that I needed to step up in because I was instrumental in our pivot. So you're out right. Um, but thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, but so after that, it just didn't sit well with me. Um, I, I'm thinking a lot more independently at this point. Um, I, at this point in my spiritual journey, I don't like what's going on at the church. I'm convinced Jesus is not at the center of what they're preaching. I'm convinced that the ideologies of this man, his idea of wisdom is at the center of what he's talking about. And I, I wa- I was Hannah and I were still convinced that if we, you know, <clears throat> if we stay in there long enough, we could change things. That we could help turn the ship around and bring Jesus back in the center. Um, so that was our heart at this point. Our heart was not we think this is the world. We actually thought not the best of this place, but we felt some sort of drive and commitment to this place, a marriage almost, where what we were called here and we wanted to bring change. So like we felt a hold on that. So it was in that hope that I decided to reach out to this pastor. So 
I got his personal phone number, which is a no-no. Hmm. And I called him on a Monday, which was an especially no-no. <laughs> it was his Sabbath day of rest. Um, nobody calls him on Monday. That's when he spends time with family. Um, but I called. I left a voicemail. I was very respectful. Um, I wasn't berating. I didn't get on his case. I said, um, sir, we love you. We respect you. We really honor you. We're thankful for all that you've done to impart to us. And we're really thankful for this opportunity that you're taking to invest in us and, and, and our friends and all that stuff. But I, I just really didn't appreciate um, you taking the time to use me as a negative example. I mean, I understand if you disagree with that. I'm not telling you that you have to agree with what we did. You can teach something different. I'm not telling you not to do that. Just don't use me as a negative example. And I also brought up a couple other things that, um, we disagreed with. Um, I brought up uh, three things in total, including the thing that he, um, brought up to publicly, um, use this as a negative example. Didn't he make fun of you for having OCD in front of everyone? He too? did that after. Oh, that was afterwards. Um, cause he didn't know about that. Okay. Uh, There's another characteristic of All spiritual. Right, mind, huh? Um, but no, no, I hung, I hang up. Um, he then proceeds to call me on his wife's phone and leaves between 33 and 35 voicemails. All Let that sink in, everybody. 33 to 35 voicemails. That's, what, an hour and a half, two hours worth oh, of voicemails? definitely. Yeah. And the reason why he left so many is because the voicemail cuts off at about three and a half, four minutes. Otherwise, it would have been one long correction. Um, but in this two hours span he goes on to accuse us of being spiritually prideful um he accuses us of um seeing into things like he 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 really took the opportunity to break me down on an emotional level to question myself and he just when you listen to the voicemail it's very calculated like it does not sound like he doesn't raise his voice he doesn't have a temper in the overt sense, but he has a temper in the subdued, boiling anger of just, you know, speaking up for myself. Like he didn't yell at me. He threw in a couple of jokes to kind of lighten the mood, but the whole thing was you could just feel the anger in there. He threw things in my face like, now this is a test, Joseph, of how well you can acclimate to the culture here. Because if you see any future in this church, you know, you need to pass this test well. And the Lord is putting this test before you on how you handle this correction I'm giving you right now, on how you can move forward in your destiny. He said that. Um, he also said things like, hey, he, he left a good 10 voicemails about how I should never call him on a Monday. I should never call him <laughs> unless I should never call and leave a voicemail unless it's encouraging. Otherwise, it needs to go through. Um, his associate pastor, his department head, so that they can filter it through. And it was just a really weird thing. So um, I, I don't remember at one point, um, at one point I opened up to, oh yes, you were right. I opened up to him about my history of mental illness before this voicemail, um, somehow, some way. And he proceeded in these 30 voicemails to accuse me of being mentally unstable as still struggling with mental illness and to overthink and overthinking things and just blowing things out of proportion. Like he, he accused me of being mentally unstable and mentally um, incapable of comprehending the situation correctly. Keep in mind, you know, I don't know what the spiritual persuasion is of everybody listening on this, but I believe in healing and I had a pretty dramatic healing encounter 
um, months before this to where God actually, um, I felt like this force center go up my body and center in on my head and like my chemicals came back into balance and I've never been the same before. Like I don't have OCD anymore. I'm like mentally stable and healthy. And that was how I shared it with him. I shared with him that experience and he used it against me and blew it back in my face, accusing me, no, you still are mentally unstable. And this is why. Um, Wait, does does he have a PhD in psychology or psychiatry or any no. kind of cognitive brain functioning? No, but he says he has the Holy Spirit and discernment, ah, okay. you know, which trumps all. Um, and he says he has the word um, and knows how to renew the mind. So he's he, he can be Dr. Phil for you. Okay. Got it. In fact, I think there's a series called Dr. Phil. Um, but um, but we digress. But we digress, yeah. Anyways, that was a hard experience. And after that, we endured a little bit more of this indoctrination session. But um, after being used as that negative example and witnessing that level of correction, we reached out to some independent sources um of the church that we were going to in oklahoma said hey is this normal is this is this something that maybe just the older generation is experiencing and their leadership style because i know the word of faith and the previous generation they were stronger leaders and they had a different way of doing things and i just want to make sure i have an accurate perspective and i'll never forget what this pastor told us and it was just so enlightening he goes you know this isn't normal it sounds like this pastor sees you two as racehorses but it sounds like he wants to break your legs, reset your legs to heal so he can teach you how to run again. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And and that's exactly his leadership style. And it's abusive and it's his way or the highway. And in that moment, in that encounter, my wife and I were, were, were just traveling home um, and we're just thinking through the whole scenario of like, do we really want to go back? Now, keep in mind, this is February of 2019. We were getting ready to move back in May. So this was pretty close of us graduating from ORU and moving back and dedicating our lives to this on volunteer staff. Um, and um, um, we just had this moment after thinking about it where we just decided we're not moving back. We're not going back to this church. We're not going to subject ourselves to this environment. And again, I don't know your spiritual persuasion, what you believe in the spirit world, spirit world or anything like that, but we felt this thing, this presence just like come off of us when we left. Mm. It was almost like the scales on our eyes were shed. Our eyes were open. It's, it's almost like we could see clearly. And it was almost like this cape of a dark presence was lifted from our shoulders. It was terrifying, but it was liberating. And I've never looked at the world quite the same again. And, and, you know, if you are of the spiritual persuasion, one thing that I want to emphasize in spiritual abuse is the spiritual side of it. You have no idea, without getting into specifics, a lot of us have no idea the ramifications in the spirit realm there are of submitting yourself to a toxic leader. There are a lot of overarching consequences that come when your shepherd, when the person who's supposed to be protecting you allows foreign spiritual forces to infiltrate your your um, area of safety in a church, and it really can cause some consequences. I'm not saying to scare anybody. I'm not saying that to freak anybody out. I'm just saying there is a spiritual dimension to what we're talking about, as well as emotional and mental, and it's um, a very real thing, and I felt the freedom. It was, it was pretty crazy. Um, 
But after that, um, you know, we, we decided to stay in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We, we decided to pursue our own careers and we kind of went through this period of healing from what we went through, um, understanding, um, what we were subjected to, um, because I know that's just a handful of experiences that we experienced, but that's one aspect of what we experienced. The other aspect is the culture at that church, which I don't want to talk too long on that because I know this podcast is getting a little long, but basically that culture is toxic and that culture provides more spiritual abuse than what is directly done by the pastor a lot of times if you're not in the inner circle like Eddie. We were taught things like, like I mentioned before, to choose joy, which basically denies yourself of feeling. It actually puts you in a state of numbness, which is by definition depression, um, because all you can do is put on a fake smile on your face and you can't feel anything else. Um, you are taught to quote unquote honor people um, by um, by by gaslighting. Um, you doubt yourself about your sense of injustice, about your sense of needing things to be right. Um, you are told that unity is not sounding the same but unity is sounding together and how we elevate your individuality but the culture is all about redefining who you are giving you 12 steps to everything to contort yourself to a predefined framework of identity and your level of success and promotion within this organization is based on how well you can duplicate the pastor so that is the actual opposite there's a whole slew of things that's just suppressive that that um, denies any personal experience with God, that denies any personal expression of God, that denies any personal walk with God of speaking um, what you feel God has put on your heart. There's that sense of individuality in that culture is completely stripped, and you're given a pseudo sense of individuality, a fake sense of individuality, that really that fake self is teaching you to be a clone of the pastor and in the process killing who you truly are day by day, step by step. And it's not like what Jesus says to come to the cross daily for him. On the con- on the contrary, it's idolizing a person and killing your sense of individuality to serve them as your idol. And it is a very dangerous place to be. And it has lasting spiritual psychological and even physical ramifications along the way and that is what we've been unpacking we've been unpacking what does the bible truly say Mm. is this is this really is this the culture i was brought up in or is this really what the bible says where is my sense of individuality and at what sense and at what level of conformity do i embrace to grow in holiness but how do I maintain a sense of individuality to where I'm not sinning, but I'm the best version of myself? And that's what we've been unraveling because we were given a script of how life should be. And if you're not following the script, you're either in sin or you're doing it wrong or a last last ditch effort. You're an exception to the rule, but you're still looked down upon because you're the exception to the rule because the rule is how the world works. Or Um, you're in rebellion. Or you're in rebellion. And you, you got some other deep problems with that, but... So let me add to what Joseph said. I know we're getting close to time here, um, but it's a podcast. We could go for two hours, but people can't listen that long. Sure. Uh, you know, I got to be a witness to all of this with Joseph and Hannah. And, to, you know, the, this, this ministry was big on honor and integrity and thankfulness. Thankfulness. Oh, yeah. So in, in spite of 
all of the things and all of those corrective messages that Hannah Joseph got, which was just ridiculous and demoralizing, they still, out of honor, attended a staff advance, because you can't use the word retreat, because that's going backwards. And for those of you that have been in the Christian organizations, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they, it was a staff uh, advance where they were there for a week with the whole staff, in which they were again uh, subjected to just these jabs, these spiritual jabs, these controlling jabs, and they handled it like champs. Uh, but the the thing that broke it for me, and this was right before I was let go from church. This was in November, and I was let go in the end of December. So it was coming to a head anyway. Uh, but Hannah and Joseph got corrective messages, and I got corrective messages because their thank you wasn't good enough. Their our thank you note wasn't long enough. Their thank you note wasn't good enough or long enough. And uh, I'm getting messages saying, now, listen, Hannah and Joseph don't get it. They need to understand that uh, thankfulness and gratefulness is important here. And uh, now I'm feeling in trouble for them not doing what I'm trying to get them. And it's just the cycle of it's never good enough. Well, it's he also ne- said, he also said, I'm not doing this for me. I'm just teaching them how to honor because that helps them in the long run. And, and which is completely wrong. And he did the comparison thing by saying, well, um, your friend who also on the staff advance, he sent me a two sided thank you note. He only sent me one. And it's like that, that comparison. And it's like, I've never had my thank you note in my life rejected before because it isn't good enough. That was just, that was, that was so telling. So and telling. that right there is spiritual abuse. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Abuse Podcast. Um, I hope this makes you think. Maybe you see some parallels in your own life. Um, we just want to provide a safe space to where to validate your experience that you are not crazy. You are really going through an abusive situation. And we encourage you to get outside help and to approach healing in this and to seek prayerfully what to what your next steps are whether that's sharing your story addressing it with church leadership or what to move forward but yeah thanks if, you, for, if you have any questions just let us know we'll yeah. be glad to help any way we can yeah so enjoy your day hope it makes you think and don't forget to leave us a review um we read those we take them seriously and we just we just want to hear from you and hear how this is either helping you or your story or or, or whatever you want to share so have a blessed day